Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, um, I have a little cold, so I'm going to sound stuffy. I had my first COVID test that came back negative yesterday, or today rather, but I still end up having a cold, so just bear with me on that. I'm recording this before... On two days before the season four begins, and I'm in the process of trying to lock in my season four theme, and I want to do this reflection here with you all and release it on day one. Okay, so what's on my brain is uh, going to give you a few themes that are bouncing around uh, your Anti Down project. Season 4, What I Want to Do When I Grow Up, Capitalism, yeah, I think those are the, Season 4, this project, What I Want to Do When I Grow Up, and Capitalism, those are the four themes that are on my brain, and let's see what happens with that, okay? If you are new to this project, uh, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I like to say I'm a critical race feminist because it helps me to explain why I'm unconventional and sensitive to power as relating to constructs such as race, gender, class, and sexuality. This project is unedited, it's unscripted, and if you want to know more about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So I, um, one of the things I've been doing on my break, uh, is look, thinking about who I am as a type eight in my, in my instinctual self, in my subtypes, subtype. So I'm a social self, I'm a social self-preservation eight. And that I've talked about before, but for whatever reason, that still feels relevant to process because that it's really like a self-preservation rising. And I think the self-preservation rising is making some choices and some decisions I've made in the past, making it a little bit difficult for me to fully commit to. Because I believe some the commitment I've made in the past was born out of being social possibly social sexual. And I don't think the theory works that way. I don't think the theory works with that way where I can say, I used to be this subtype and now I'm this subtype. You get what I'm saying? So I am not here to argue. I'm not here to make a case that I really was a social sexual and now I'm a social self-preservation. That's not what I'm going to do. I can't do that. But what I do want to do is say... For whatever, for whatever it's worth, I was functioning as a social sexual, now social self-preservation. 
So in one iteration wasn't really me, but I was I was acting that out for whatever reason, then let's go with it. But I think it is safe to say I was acting as a social sexual and now I'm acting more as a social self preservation. And uh I could see the self preservation me trying to dominate. I don't know though, because I can also see the social the the sexual me the which sexual me has never been first. It's either I've been social sexual or social self preservation. And the sexual part of me, which is not the sexual like it's a procreation, but the intensity part of me, the one-on-one intensity part of me, which I don't know if this is because I'm an INTJ, but it, I, I found this guy on the internet who once said he was a social sexual eight, but he was an ENTJ. And he said the sexual had nothing to do with other people. You know, he may have said he was an INTJ, that his the one-on-one is connected to projects. He has an intensity towards projects. And I'm like, yep. And I think that's where the mastermind comes from. Like, okay, I'm focused on this thing. I never thought about it before. The masterminding and being committed to that thing has to be out of the sexual instinct. My goodness, that has never occurred to me to just now. And I'm not saying I'm right, but man, that's interesting. It would make sense that now... I think I'm more self-preservation and I'm having a hard time, like I said, being committed to things that I'm committed to when I was self-sexual. Uh, and so I'm doing this the masterminding. There are two things that I'm masterminding. One is the work that I'm in, the job I'm in, and I don't have a choice. I'm in it. That's just something I have learned. I don't have a choice. I don't have control over it. I am going to naturally try to problem solve that, naturally try to fix it, make it better, make it more efficient, make it more effective. Even when I don't want to, like, I'm like, this is not worth it. They're not worth it. It doesn't matter. I go insane if I don't naturally do what I'm built to do, what I'm wired to do. So I'm in there trying to problem solve something. Other people don't think it needs to be problem solved. And I think my life would be, a part of me feels like my life would be better if I wasn't trying to problem solve the job. But when I don't allow my mind to work the way it's naturally wired to work, then it, it does cause quite a, quite a bit of dissonance for me. And so I just have to let it be what it's going to be. It's not an easy thing, though. Particularly, I've been thinking, I've been thinking today, and if I sound a little sluggish, that's because I've taken some uh, cold medicine, some some nighttime cold medicine, so it's making me a little drowsy. So you probably you probably can hear it, and I feel like I'm, my words aren't really coming out right. So just bear with me. But one of the things I've been thinking about today, in between sleep, is I think there's you. You've heard me say a lot in season three, positionality. I, I use that word a lot. And that's because the position I held did not make room for me to do certain type of masterminding, a certain type of analysis. 
a certain type of programming. So I was conscious of the fact that the position doesn't allow me to do it. But I am who I am. <laughs> I'm Popeye. And, and, uh, and so that's the conflict. Now, I think that I work with some people who are allowing me to do that. And I think on best, my better days, I'm like, yeah, it's coming. I'm going to land that plane so smooth. It's gonna get, I'm going to get to my destination. But I also know that in the meantime, I am very much different from that world. I think differently. I have different convictions. Um, I have a different capacity level. I have a different level of intolerance. And so I'm in there and it's bumpy. The ride is bumpy. Ultimately, I'm wired to see it through though. No matter how bumpy it is, I'm wired to get to the destination and to get there, like I said, with a level of finesse. The the, the arrival will be beautiful, but the ride is bumpy. <laughs> And so that's a good metaphor for me to hold on to. But I really, I really wish that I wasn't, wasn't contending with this because I have other things to do with my energy. But one of the things I've just come to terms with is that that's just how I'm wired. Like, I'm not going to be in a chaotic space and not try to fix it. So a coworker of mine who's tested as an ELFJ has a lot of, has a, I can see the T-I in her, but I also can see T-E a little bit. And we joke about going into a job and making it better. And we laugh about like going into like a, a completely different industry. And it wouldn't matter the industry because we were thinking, we'll just leave education for a while. And then we, the joke is, we can leave education, but we're still going to fix whatever environment we're in. So this is going to be worse because then we're going to be in an environment that we don't have any schooling or training in. <laughs> and we're going to try to fix it because that's just who we are. Uh, so I don't know how she, I don't know how to explain that through her ENFJ wiring. I know how to explain it through my INTJ wiring. But uh, I think I think our fixing may be a little different. So I think her fixing is through the TI. And I want to say that maybe she's not an ENT. Maybe she's an EN, like ENTP, but she's not. It's interesting. It's interesting. That's that's one. Well, first of all, she's the first ENTJ, excuse me, I keep saying that, ENFJ. She's an ENFJ, the first ENFJ that I have not bumped heads with. And I can see the potential of us bumping heads at different times. But so far, we've been able to kind of like dance it out, and uh, which is cool because we, we get a lot from each other. <laughs> And sometimes we we share office and we be like, okay, don't talk to me, because we could just talk forever, and so that's really really cool. But anywho, um, I'm not going to be in an environment where I'm not going to try to fix it. 
that's distracted from me in terms of the other work that I want to do. And because I don't want to do the work as, I don't want to use my sexual instinct. I'm going to use my sexual instinct to a certain extent, but I think in order for me to be all into the other work that is outside of my job, I have to activate the sexual instinct. Like, I have to lean into it. And I don't, listen to me, it's not only think it's a choice. It's not, it's just not, it's not anymore. And then I'm like, well, what, what's on me? What is, what is on me? Like, what can I, how is my sexual instinct activated? And the only thing I can say my sexual instinct is activated in terms of balance, survival, and understanding the social world. So the sexual instinct is used for me to lean into my other two functions, the social self-preservation. But there was a time when I was social sexual and it was all about my sexual energy was all about attending to the social world, not interpersonally. So I was focused on my social projects. And my sexual energy now is still, I still use a good portion of it to understand the social world, but not to act in it, but to do, to, but to use it. I use it really to balance myself. I use my sexual energy to stay balanced between the social and the self-preservation. This is really interesting. I've never looked at the stack in this way, which, called, which is called the instinctual stack of the Enneagram. And because, and I did a, I did a reflection that I couldn't upload because I was, I did it for YouTube, but it was too, it went, it was like 18 minutes. And I, uh, I've been, I thought I couldn't upload a YouTube video if it goes over 15 minutes. There's a part of me that's like, could I? But anywho, uh, the video, I didn't upload it. Uh, the audio, I didn't upload it to video is is about the push-pull that I experienced between the social and the self-preservation. And most people talk about the push-pull in the instinctual world as in self-preservation and sexual. Sexual sexual pulls in, self-preservation is like, no, no, leave me alone. I get that. But because I don't experience sexual as in one-on-one with people, but as in one-on-one, like intensity with projects, that is the way I, I, I'm experiencing that. I'm experiencing the social part of me. Um, very much is interested in the social world, like analyzing it, understanding it. I just have very a very little desire right now to fix it. I really do. I have a desire. You know what I want to do, though? I want to expose it. I'm feeling very drawn to expose the social world, particularly as it relates to human behaviors and human wellness, personal, yeah, personal wellness. Uh, that's what I want to do. I want to do an exposing. 
I don't even know if I want to tell people how to navigate it. I feel like I feel that if I expose it and help people to really see what's going on, I trust people to know how to navigate it on their on, on their own. Right now, I just want to expose it wide open, bust it wide open, so people can see behind a lot of the illusions of what we frame as important and real. And I think that's where the writer in me is really drawn. Like in my writing, I can I can open it up, and I'm a perspectives person using the language from the husband and wife personality theory uh, podcast. And they, that's what they name people who are introverted, intuitively driven. Like that's our dominant function. They call it the perspectives. That's true. I have a unique way of seeing the world. I mean, well, I have a unique way of looking at life. But because my area, because I'm a social eight, and because I'm trained in this area, I have a unique way of seeing the social world and how we interact in it and how that, yeah, how we interact in it and how we're impacted by it. So I want to, I want to share that. And that's where my writing comes from. And to some extent, my podcast, I have two, they're different. Like, like that's what season four for me is going to be. Because this summer I'm going to launch, I'm going to finally, finally launch, not a third podcast, because I've thought about this. I'm going to go back to my primary podcast and do a variation of it. So one of the things I learned on the, the podcast platform, that it, so podcast two, I recorded using Podbean. But my first podcast, I use a different podcasting platform. And in that, I can have two different shows in the one, on one platform. I just, all you have to do is, when you release an episode, you just name it differently. So I'm going to, it's still in the spirit of the, of the, it has the same theme. It's just going to take a different approach. And the, the approach basically is me. Okay. Okay. Just bear with me, you guys. I want to explain this. <laughs> this is okay. So in podcast number two, you're in, I down. I'm freestyling. I hit the record button. Uh, the last season and a half, I started, well, particularly season three, I did better by saying, this is my starting point. I was pretty consistent with saying, this is my starting point. Season one, I just started recording. Most of season two, I would be just do a lot of randomness. But by the time I got to season three, even if I wanted to talk like and give you guys like updates, I would say, okay, I have some housekeeping. But I, I pretty consistently started off by saying, this is what's on my mind. Here's a list. They'll give you the list, give you the topic. Then I did my housekeeping. Then I did my disclaimers. Pretty good. I'm, I'm pleased with that. <laughs> okay. And I think this is where I've been trying to get to. Like learning how to give a reflection that is more organized. Because I think subconsciously I have been, I knew, it, I've always known I wanted to take this freestyling nature to my other pad, podcast. I want to take this freestyling nature 
to the other podcast. And I don't fully know why, like, there's a part of me that feels like because I don't have time to write out a script or to, because I'm doing other kinds of writing and I don't want my writing life interrupted. Like, I don't want to have to, it takes a lot for me to write those, the other podcasts. And I write it out because I'm dealing with some really complex concepts that I can't freestyle in podcast number one. I just can't freestyle it. I I bring to that podcast what I do in my writings and I take it to the I take it to the public. And that's fine. I don't have a re- and I'm not that's not going anywhere. But there's also something that I feel like has I've uncovered in podcast number two that does come from being not scripted, free flowing, and uh, and I want to take that to that. I want to take it. I want to take it to my primary space. I want to take my free. space freestyling nature to my primary space but I want it to be more organized than I don't know I want it to be more organized we'll see to what extent because I feel pretty good about the structure that I've created for podcast number two so if I could take where I'm at how I ended season three into podcast number one I'll feel pretty good about that uh, and the other thing I want to do is I'm ready to bring in personality theory as a key component to understanding the social world. I'm ready to do that. Not just really about understanding the social world, but exposing the social world, right? Let's, let's exposing the impact that the social world has on the individual. I'm ready to bring personality theory into that space. I'm ready to bring it. It's been a while. It's been, it's taken me a minute to get comfortable with that idea because, because personality theory isn't considered to be vetted. And I don't really like, it would be, it would feel like me taking astrology to my primary world as an academic. Right. So, But I feel ready to bring in personality theory to expose the social world and its impact on the individual. Uh, I don't even know why I went down that rabbit hole. But maybe it's because that's the extent that I want to use my social. I just really, what I'm interested in now is exposing. And maybe, and then, when I'm not exposing and, and, and sharing people with people my perspectives, my perspective on the social world, I want to be able to take care of myself. Like I'm really excited about that part and thriving and structurally thriving. I don't know, but that feels, I think the hard part of that, and I'll start closing here, 
believe it or not, when it start closing, it doesn't mean I won't keep talking. <laughs> doesn't mean I won't go the full hour, but at least I feel like I feel like I'm getting towards the end of the discovery process. A lot of times these reflections are like discovery. It's a discovery process. I'm trying to figure something out. All right, so I think I'm getting close to that. On one level, this idea of being, of shifting from social sexual to social self-preservation and using my sexual energy to balance between the social and self-preservation seems okay. But the challenge is capitalism. (laughs) This is where capitalism comes in. If there was a, okay, this is it right here. If there was a way for me to do the social and be taken care of structurally by my primary instinct, of social, we'd have a winner. It used to be that way, though. And maybe that's why I was able to integrate all three of my instincts, social self-preservation and sexual. Maybe, maybe I was social, maybe I was social self-preservation and sexual, but because the social took care of me, took care of my structural then it didn't look like there was a conflict. Then I could just go in and, and pick up the sexual. I don't know if that makes sense. So my, my stack, it, where it's at now, is social self-preservation sexual. I started this audio off by saying maybe in, in the first half of my career, I was social sexual self-preservation. So that's one possibility. Another possibility could be that I was social self-preservation and sexual, but because the social, because of my self-preservation was taken care of through the social, it didn't stand out. So I was easy for me to swoop in to do the sexual. But I've gotten to a place now where my social doesn't take care of the self-preservation. As a matter of fact, the social and the self-preservation are at odds. Because... What I, what I want to share and expose in the social world, no one is going to pay me to do that. And I shouldn't say that. I don't know if that's true, but am I going to get paid at the level that I'm used to getting paid? And I actually desire to make a little more money. And I went through a phase, and I think I was even at this phase when I started this project, I was like, I don't need the money. I don't need the money. Well, that's not true. And I I was having this conversation. I don't know if I said it to you guys uh, in my other preseason reflection, but um, uh just lost my train of thought. Hold on one second. The issue is dignity. And because I live, and you've heard me say, I live in one of the most segregated cities in the country, if not the most segregated, that implicates racism. All right. I'm not going to unpack that now, okay? It is 
It's in the top three if it's not number one. And uh, uh, that segregation. It's interesting, I'm pausing because an argument can be made that the racism feeds the segregation and then the segregation feeds the racism. You could say that. So I believe that they're, I believe it's cyclical, but I think the root of it is is racism, I really do. And when you live in that space, you have to leverage Class as a way of navigating racism. Yeah, so dimensions of class is used to navigate racism to make it a little less turbulent. So you have people of color with means, with resources. That's what you use your resources to navigate the racism, to have to have a little bit of dignity. And so without the money, I don't have the cushion to navigate the just the racism. So where I would love to say I don't need the money, I don't. I what I've discovered is that it leaves me vulnerable to not having any buffer on me to navigate racism. And the more money I have, the better I'm able to not avoid it, but to navigate it. Uh, and so, this idea that I don't need a lot of money. On one hand, it's true, but it's no. It's interesting. This even makes me think about when I was in another state with my ex, and I I didn't feel the need. I wasn't drawn to money. Well, because I wasn't experiencing racism in the same way. So I didn't have a need for money at the same level for me. And, you know, now my ex had a different need for money. But that's a really interesting consideration so back here I don't like being treated as part of a criminal class my skin color puts me in a certain class a criminal class and the criminal class class is created because of racism and not allowing people the dignity to have access to opportunity It's sucky. It's just sucky, you guys. So anyway. So the self-preservation me wants more money. To access more dignity. To access more opportunity. To access more uh, protection. But the social me exposes that, that, that vile infrastructure of racism. And I live in a city that considers itself to be fairly progressive. And those folks don't want it exposed that at the end, at, underneath this a facade of being nice and progressive is racism. Like the, I was reading, I was looking at, been interested in Dr. King's work, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I've never really, really, to be honest with you, studied him. You just grew up hearing about him. You just feel like you don't need to study him. And ever since I've been thinking about capitalism, I've been going looking at his work. So he 
talks about the Negro of the South and the Negro of the North, the Negro, <laughs> the African-American, the black person of the South and the, of the North. And wow, he nails it. My God. 40 years, I could, it's just, a lot of it's still the same. And he says, the African-American in the North, their target of injustice is not clear. Where when you're in the South, you know, you know what your target of evil is, what your target of oppression is. But it's not clear in the North. That's true. Because the Northern progressives want to believe that they're not racist. As a matter of fact, they rather talk about the people of the South and talk about a particular party. <laughs> you know, we're not, I'm not I'm going to come out of this, but so for me to expose that makes me a, an unsafe hire. And I think that's one of the things I'm dealing with in the current job. And the only reason why I won't allow myself to obsess on leaving that job, because I believe that where I'm working is going to become more colorful in the next five years, not even ten. Yeah, it's going to change. So I just got to, I got to suffer through it. And I don't know what that's going to mean. Um, and then I don't, part of me is like, is it worth it? And I think it's only a question about, I think this is the question with the job. I think I need to come out of my social self in the job. Which I can't do that. I'm not, I can't do that. It doesn't even make sense. I, uh, I think as long as I'm working directly with children, I can do social easily. But the moment I start working with adults, it's being social is difficult. Because adults, whether they're black, white, or whatever, they don't want to know about, they don't, they, they are quite comfortable with the matrix, the illusion of the world, social world. They don't want it exposed. And as a perspectives person, that's what I'm going to do. Now, it's interesting. Some of the adults I'm working with now, not all of them, they want me to share more. And it's interesting. I don't want to share with them. And isn't that like a contradiction? I want adults to be able to receive it. But I think I realize these adults are only going to listen to the perspective. They're not going to take any action on it. So you're just going to take it in as an intellectual process or a project. This is not just about intellectual stimulation. This is about taking action. And they're not going to take action. So I don't want to waste my time sharing because that would make me a TI user. And I'm not a TI user. I'm not sharing my knowing just for you to intellectually consider something. When I share it, I want there to be forward motion, action. So anyway... Um, so the current job isn't even paying me what I believe I'm worth, but uh, it's paying me more than I've been paid in the last few years, and I'm not far from my salary. 
from when I was self-employed. And probably, to be quite honest with you, I'm probably bringing in more when you consider retirement benefits and other medical benefits, right? And the self-preservation me likes that. Uh, but it, it, she's, the self-preservation me is at odds with the social me who really, really needs to expose the social matrix to really, I really need to do that. I need to expose it. And here's the other part. I want to set people free from their delusions around the matrix. It's, it's a, it's a freedom piece for me. I never thought about it like that. I always thought freedom work would be like to literally move someone from one place to the next. No, for me, it's, it, it is intellect, it is conceptual freedom. Paradigm shifts. And I honestly, honestly, I primarily am interested in changing the paradigms of other African Americans. And not all African Americans, you know, like probably not censor African Americans, but intuitive African Americans, intuitive, intuitive African Americans, like maybe those of us, uh, the other, uh, black folks who leave with NI Domnus, or maybe, maybe TI, maybe NE, <laughs> maybe TE, but not those censors, boy. Because I believe African-American censors are locked in. They're locked into the social. They're locked into the social world as it is. Even though they want change, I think they want change in terms of their positionality to the world. But they don't want the world to change. They just want their positionality in it change. I don't know if that's true. That's something that I just threw out there, right? I need to meditate on that a little bit. Now, does that mean I don't want to do paradigm shifting for white folks? No, I'm not going to say that at all. I'm pretty sure some of you are white. <laughs> you know, I don't start this project off. I said, this is a podcast for other black people. I listen to podcasts like that. That's not what this is about. But... I don't know. I think this project is, it's more of a place for me to explore the social world and what it means to be human in it. And I, if, I guess I need to correct something because I think ultimately, ultimately that's my interest. What does it mean to be human in a social world that is complicated as in terms of power, that is my deepest interest. But because I, being African American and knowing that other blacks are not safe in the current construct of the matrix, I think it's safe. It's okay to say I'm interested in creating a paradigm shift there as well. So I don't know. I don't know how to reconcile that yet. But I said all of that to say, who's going to pay me to do that? <laughs> you know, who's going to pay me to cause a paradigm shift? 
especially moving people out of their comfort zone because the matrix exists as a matrix for a reason like because we all can we we want to believe this is reality no one is not going to be no one is going to be happy to find out that the matrix is not reality they're not going to pay me to do that now they might be intrigued they're not going to pay me I should stop saying that because maybe there is a way for me to get paid to do it but then I say, is it going to be paid? Am I going to be paid at the same level? I don't know. So I'm going to stop saying no one will pay me to do that because my faith, my faith, when I allow myself to lead into my spiritual self, my faith says anything is possible, and to not use words to limit me. So I need to I need to correct myself on that. But the self preservation part of me is struggles struggles with that. The uh, the self-preservation part of me says, who's going to pay you to do that? No one is going to pay you to do that. (laughs) So then I go and get a job, and then I'm trying to navigate. It's just complicated. But that's the real, that's what I'm dealing with. So, um, I don't know. As I go back to podcast number one in an unscripted way, because I've been saying I'm going back to podcast number one. And I find that podcast number one is interfering with my writing life or my writing life doesn't want to be interrupted by podcast number one because I have to do the script. And it's so funny because not funny today. I finally, I bought a, finally got a new phone. Something that I was just a long overdue. So a few weeks I got a new phone and I, uh, I'm a Twitter user even though I'm up to 14 Twitter followers for my you, Your NI Down project. Because <laughs> the last time I checked, it was like at 8. I'm up to 14. I'm super excited. Or maybe I've been up. Maybe I was at 14. Maybe I was, I've been here for a while. Anyway, so I reinstalled Twitter on the phone, and I was going to my other account, my primary Twitter account. I have over 3,000 followers. That's a big deal for me, so don't poo-poo that. And... Um, so I was trying to scroll through to see if anybody had tweeted me that I missed. And that's, that's been three weeks of tweets to go through. I'm pretty sure I missed somebody. But I kept seeing people like, there was a, there's this tweet where I kept getting that I was mentioned in, that I was being liked. I was like, oh, somebody put me in a tweet. And like, what is that tweet? So I just keep scrolling, scrolling. So somebody that I know from Twitter, I've interviewed him on my podcast twice, but I met him on Twitter. And we've talked on the phone a couple of times. This is what I love about Twitter. You can really build community from Twitter land. Although I've met people from Facebook, too. Um, well, anyway, he written an, an article or an essay, published it. And he must have uh, put the article out and then he tagged me in the, in the tweet. So I was like, okay, let me support him. He supports me and my podcast and my writings. Go and read his work. So I'm reading. He has three points. This essay he wrote, there are three points. I get to the second point, and he smacks, he centers me in the essay. He's writing about me, <laughs> my name, my podcast, my book. And he's just talking about how I have changed his perspective. I'm like, holy smokes, 
This is something he produced, uh, released earlier in the month. I'm so glad I saw it. It was so, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Like, it just was so affirming that my unique way of, I have a theory, you guys, on power. And I've, I've talked about it in a very messy way, disjointed way in this project before. Uh, and I can freestyle that topic without being disjointed. So I don't know why it was so disjointed when I talked to you all about it. I got to think about that. But it wasn't my best treatment of power in when I've talked about it with you all. But that is my area of like expertise, I guess. That's one of them, I would say. I guess. And, uh, and so I have a very unique way of looking at power. And I've talked about that in podcast number one. And my book doesn't really delve into it. Not the first book, but my dissertation does. And my third book that I am super excited about. It's a very short book, though. It talks about power. So I think primarily he's understood my essay writing because I've been a blogger. I haven't blogged in a, really in a couple of years, but I was blogging a lot, my podcast, where I was talking a lot, a lot about power. And I have, I have, I've caused him to have a paradigm shift about social power, particularly as it relates to him as a, a white man, a white, straight, cisgendered man. And wow, just wow, I wasn't expecting that. But that's ultimately what I want to do. Cause people to have a paradigm shift. And then they can take that, they can go in the world and continue to do the work. Um, and I'm not going to lie, there's a part of me that there's, a, there's, a, there's something I can do with young people, with students, with teenagers causing paradigm shifts. It's not, a, it's not the same as a paradigm shift, but building mental, mental habits, building habits in young people that will allow them to go out into the social world, being more conscious of it and more effective in it. There's a part of me that doesn't want to give that up. But the way today's schools are, they're not easily going to let me come in there and do that unless I create my own school again. And the self-preservation part of me is just not interested in doing another school the way I did before. It took a lot out of me. I wasn't able to take care of me. Um, so I don't, I feel like this is a topic that's on repeat. I think that's why I'm looking at capitalism because of what capitalism, how it influences Self-preservation, you've got to, you got to live in the profit. How do you live in the profit? you got to do something that other people want. When you're trying to cause a paradigm shift in people, they don't know that, they don't necessarily want the paradigm shift. That's not how it works. Now, after the shift, they go, oh, it's interesting. And I, I'm going to, I guess I'm closing here. I, uh, I've been taking in a lot of content on over the break. That's what I do when I'm just in a place. I really love this idea of taking breaks between seasons. 
And it just allows me to indulge in my head without doing a lot of outputting. I do a lot of inputting. So when I'm doing these seasons, I'm doing a lot of outputting. But when I take a break, I do inputting. So I'm uh, falling asleep on some YouTube content. I wake up and I'm listening to this hour and a half lecture on writing. <laughs> and you would think I would go, that's, I don't subscribe to any writing writers or, excuse me, any writing content on YouTube. So I'm like, where is this coming from? But the content is really good. As a writer, I'm like, oh. And so the guy is just talking about when you write, you've got to write for the reader and not write for you as the thinker. And that's so spot on. Oftentimes, I'm writing as a thinker. I'm not writing for the reader. That's the truth. I think one thing I do well based on what this guy was saying is I am very good at argumentative writing. Saying something and knowing how the reader is going to challenge or not agree with something I'm saying. So I can write and anticipate the pushback from the reader. And I write for that. I write to change. So in that way, I do regard my reader. But it's also me trying to get my thinking out there. I'm getting my thinking out there at the same time anticipating what the reader, how the reader might challenge me. So anyway, but that's what he said today. The reader isn't going to know, is not going to appreciate the paradigm shift until the paradigm shift. The reader doesn't come to you saying, I want to know something new. Oftentimes the reader is coming to you because the reader wants you to reinforce what he or she already knows. They may want to be stretched, but they don't want to shift. And that's how I feel about this work, me being a social eight, and how I, and being an INTJ social eight, how I see the social world in, in, in a way that's really different from how other people see the social world. And once I expose that, people go, well, I've had people, well, one of my coworkers, she says all the time, I can't go back to seeing the world the way I did. Thank you very much. You know, she says it like jokingly, but start like, thank you. See what you've done. I can't go back. I can't unsee what I see now. And I've had people who've told me that. Well, that's, that's a compliment to me. That's what I want to do. But the point is, is anybody going to pay me enough to do that so that the self-preservation part of me is satisfied? And I have to lean into my faith, I know, to believe it is possible. But I got to work on that part of me. That part is taking a hit. So, anyway, so as I close, and I think the next reflection you will hear from me, we will be officially in season four. I think what I want season four to be is a preparation for me to start thinking about my audience who maybe they don't want to maybe they don't know if they want a paradigm shift or let me say it this way I need to start thinking about my audience that will be um, 
most likely able to have a paradigm shift. The audience capable of shifting paradigms. And what is it that they will need from me in order to be open to a paradigm shift? This is not for you guys. I'm not coming to do this with you. This is me thinking about my first podcast. But I want to use season four to better understand that. And once I understand that, like season five, I want to come back and let this project be about pure musings, randomness, you know, figuring things out for me, because this is what this podcast has been for me. A place is a personal journal for a place for me to figure things out. And if I do that out loud and people benefit from it, that is win-win. But I'm thinking season four is going to be a little different just because I want to see I want to see, I want to practice or explore how I can take some of this, some of this uh, style of reflecting and take it to podcast number one to continue to do the work of paradigm shifting in a way that's unscripted. So season four, I want to explore that. I don't know what that's going to mean. And oftentimes in these seasons, I don't know. I, I may say I want to. I, it's a discovery process. I haven't really started a season where I was so concrete. This is what I'm going to do. I think season three, I did start off with some distinctions. But this whole idea of starting off with a clear topic or clear starting point consistently, I didn't make that commitment. It just happened. I think season two, I knew I wanted to be more outward facing. So that's when I started adding the homework assignment, right? I think in season three, I started less. I stopped doing like a lot of randomness uh, at the start of the reflection. And I pushed that together and called that housekeeping just to give it a space. If I'm going to do it, give it a particular space. But I don't know if I started off by saying that I was going to do that. So in all of that, I don't really know fully how season four is going to look different. I just know that I want to explore. I want to explore paradigm shifting. I want to explore that. Yeah, I want to explore paradigm shifting. Just for season four. Because I don't, I don't, and I don't even know if I can do it. Because I'm so used to this project being for me. (laughs) Right? But that's what I'd like to do. We'll see, though. We'll see what happens. I don't know. And paradigm shifting through personality theory. So it's not like I'm going anywhere. And I'm I'm still going to talk about healing work. And, And all of this is, I think this is the point of what I want to take to my primary world. I think that this project, Your NI Dom, podcast number two, has really allowed me to see that I have something additional to offer my primary podcast. My primary podcast is focused on my area of expertise. And I think I want to add this other area that's not my expertise, but I want to take it. I want to take it to podcast number one because... I think it's going to be helpful in the paradigm shift, even though it's not my area of expertise. 
But does it have to be to get people to consider? So we'll see. So I've done a lot of growing here. I feel like I've matured in my own thinking and my own sense of self, who I want to be in the world. I just got to reconcile that social self-preservation. Because self, I want to be taken care of in terms of structurally. And I do feel that sometimes the social is a conflict. I just got to find my world, you know. I got to look at other, like, speakers, like professors and writers who talk what I talk about the social world. They're taking care of structurally. I just got to figure out how they do that. (laughs) So anyway, we'll see. I still have some growing to do. I really do. I don't have it all. I don't have it all worked out, but... I'm very thankful that you guys are here, and uh, thank you for giving me some of your podcasting time, because I know there are a lot of podcasts out there that you can be listening to. Thank you for the downloads. Yeah, some of you are really faithful, and I appreciate it. I really, really do. You being here has helped me to figure out a piece of me that I don't think I would have been able to figure out. And so I really, really thank you. You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If this conversation about the social self-preservation, about the matrix and exposing the matrix, uh, I don't even know what I've been talking about. Uh, Paradigm shifting. If any of this connects to a conversation you've had in the world, would you please take this link and share it with those participants? If my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear that. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. I can see you guys coming. You don't often reach out to me don't know why that is. Maybe people don't really want to share that randomness, but I'm going to keep asking for it. Every once in a while it happens and I get so excited, but I can see that you guys have gone to the website. So I know that people are going there. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, now that I have it back on my phone, maybe I'll do more with it. You're NIDub.1. You're NIDub1. But mainly contact me on my website, you're and then please check out my YouTube channel. You're like, I have nine videos. There's some good videos there, too. All right, so check them out. They're 15 minutes in length, so, you know, you probably used to be lingering, so I can't linger. But I think there's a Battleground episode that I really, really liked. Go check that one out. And then there's an INTJ-8 conflict. The INTJ conflict, I don't think it's an INTJ-8. I think it's called the INTJ conflict. Let me give you your assignment. Hold on. Your dominant function, uh, your dominant cognitive function in the MBTI system, is that how you make your living? Do you make your money? Do you Is your income based on your dominant function? If so, how? If not, is there anything you can do to align your dominant function to your occupation? And if, would it benefit you or not? I don't know. You guys, I'm going to come back and it'll be season four. 
and I uh, we'll we'll start the journey. Um, so until I come back, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. <laughs> until I come back, be well. Bye. <laughs>